Holiday your heart out at Old Navy. Today only, all hats, gloves, and scarves are 50% off. Plus, get 40% off your entire purchase today at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Hats, gloves, and scarves valid 1120. 40% valid 1115 to 1120. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dr. Low Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. Thanks again for tuning in and bringing you the very best in natural medicine is what I do. If you guys missed last week's show, it was super fun and also kind of funny, too. I interviewed Dr. Carrie Jones on how to have a healthy vagina. And I've had a lot of emails and comments about the show that people got a lot out of it. So if you missed it, tune tune into it. It's actually a great one. You can get that as well as all the other previous shows on the iTunes podcast directory. Just type in Dr. Low Radio and check them all out. Tonight, we had to balance it out for the guys. We can't just talk about vaginas all day long. We've got to be able to give you guys some great information. So we have an expert on the show, Dr. Ty Vincent. He is wonderful. He's a medical doctor out of Alaska. I heard him speak at the ACAM conference a couple, uh, I think, last year, and it was just great, and I knew I had to have him on the show. So excited to have him on the air. And before we bring him on, just want to give you guys a couple announcements. So next week, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Paul Jaminette. He is the author of The Perfect Health Diet, which I'm excited to sink my teeth into that book. I'm going to have it all read before next show. I'm committed to doing that. And we'll have a great show to talk all about nutrition and some of the little details about how to really fine-tune your diet and have it just really optimizing your health. So that'll be next week, same time, on Tuesday at 6 o'clock. And let's see here. Facebook.com slash Dr. Lauren Noel and Twitter.com slash Dr. Low Noel. I'll do my best to look at questions on there. But of course, precedence is given to you callers. So this is your opportunity to call in and ask questions to some experts, people who can really give you some great health advice. So use that as an opportunity to call in. The number is 818-495-6919. And uh, probably make it a little bit of a kind of a shorter show, about 45 minutes or so. I need to head off to a seminar. So trying to fit it all in but I've got to keep my uh, learning going so I can bring you guys great content. So about Ty, Dr. Ty Vincent, he is from Alaska. As I said, he attended medical school at the University of Washington and finished near the top of his class. He also completed his residency at Alaska Family Medicine where he was selected as chief resident, and he served as clinical faculty for the University of Washington, and he's board certified by the American Board of Family Medicine. And he serves on the board of ACAM, that's the American College for Advancement in Medicine, which I'm always raving about, and the American Academy of Environmental Medicine. The cool thing is about Dr. Vincent is he has an intense interest in complementary and alternative medicines, not your typical medical doctor, and even since before attending medical school. And so he asks a lot of difficult questions about health and wellness and really does a lot of investigation with that. We'll hear a lot more about that tonight. He has advanced training in bioidentical hormone therapy as well as acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine and allergy treatment, environmental medicine, chelation, and Reiki, or Reiki, Reiki, I should say. He runs a private integrative clinic in Alaska, and you guys can check him out. His website is www.matmat, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, suim, S-U-I-M.com. So let's go and bring Dr. Vincent on the air. Dr. Vincent, thanks for being with us, and welcome to Dr. Low Radio. Hi, thanks, Dr. Lauren. Uh, I'm sorry I missed the vagina uh, talk last week. That's okay. I'll send you the link, and you can check it out. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was fun putting that as the title. You know, I knew it would draw people to listening to the show, so I think it was effective. 
Right, but you didn't list this as the penis. Uh, the penis I know. Podcast. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna change the title. This is all about the penis. So, <laughs> which is actually funny because men typically think that hormones is all about erectile function, right? So hopefully we can right. talk about some of those misconceptions tonight. So <laughs> exactly, and they frequently won't go to the doctor unless their penis stops working. Right. I know. It's it's a shame that they have to wait for it to get to that point. You know. Right. Hopefully they will uh, learn a little bit differently tonight. So before we kind of jump into some of the juicy questions, tell us a little bit about you and your story and just getting to be the, the doc that you are today. Oh, uh, you said you only have 45 minutes, so I'll, I'll make it short. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in small town Alaska. I had a couple of children as I went through undergraduate. I uh, I didn't get into medical school the first time I applied, which is an interesting story that's in my in my author bio in my book that I published this year. Um <laughs> But then I got into the University of Washington, had my third child by the end of the first year, which made me really unusual, having three kids going through medical school and then residency. And uh, I, I, I got out of residency, and I worked for a group practice with family practitioners for a while. I delivered babies. I did intensive care unit management. I did colonoscopies. I did all the family practice spectrum you can think of. And I got sick of patients always staying sick instead of getting better and getting healthy and it didn't take me very long to realize that the education I had gotten in a purely conventional allopathic medical training system was inadequate. And I, I uh, started looking for other kinds of learning and other, other opportunities. My, my last year of residency, I had been able to learn acupuncture training and do Chinese herbal medicine, so I had that skill set, which was helpful for a certain percentage of people. But I really got interested in learning more about nutrition, and that led me to functional medicine, and the Institute for Functional Medicine did a lot of their training, read their textbook, found the Environmental Medicine Academy and learned about detoxification and environmental issues and allergy therapy, uh, got connected with bioidentical hormone training through the International Hormone Society, and then I found organizations like ACAM and the Autism Research Institute, and I just traveled a lot and did a lot of training seminars and read a lot of things, did a lot of independent research, and I have my own lovely you know, clinical laboratory here at my own practice, so I get to experiment on actual human beings every day, which is which is honestly the best experience you can get. And my practice has just evolved over time, and so has my family. We've got, you know, six children now. <laughs> I, I'm done with that. I'm going to stick with medicine. <laughs> no you more could bleeding. be the poster boy for fertility. You'd be like, hey, i got six kids. Just do what I do, I have right? six kids. Well, I'm here to tell you that testosterone, which is one of the things we're going to talk about tonight, is, is actually very effective male birth control. That's what we use. That's what we use in my household now for birth control is just my testosterone therapy because it makes you totally shoot blanks, which is great. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Well, you must feel so blessed to be able to have all this knowledge, right, all of these tools that you can use to help patients? I mean, has it just made such an incredible difference in your education doing all of this extra training? Oh, yeah. And I, I uh, what I've learned through all of it is that I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, and that sounds paradoxical, but I think, you know, people like to say the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And that's just really yeah. true. It helps me stay open-minded. It's like I know right. full well that there, there are things I learned this year that I that I use every day that I didn't know last year. And it makes mm -hmm. me wonder what it is I don't know today that I really wish I did. And so I keep mm -hmm. going to training and, and keep learning things just like you mentioned. And that's what we should all do if we want to be good clinicians and do the best job. Right. We well, it's refreshing, too, you know, to, to, to find a medical doctor. And I've met a lot of medical doctors who are just amazing, you know, because I've gone to a lot of the same conferences you have. So I feel really lucky to have an open mind about a lot of the conventionally trained doctors. 
But, you know, to find a doctor who doesn't seem to have much of an ego at all, you know, just really down to earth, just happy to learn, or very open-minded, it's refreshing. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. Oh, I appreciate that. Cause, and that's what I tell my patients. I always tell them, look, yeah. I have no ego in this at all. If you don't do anything I tell you, I'm not going to be upset with you. I'm just going to try to help you find a strategy that you'll actually do. Wow. That's awesome. You know, in your bio you mentioned on, um, you know, on your website how unscientific modern American medicine really is. What do you mean by that exactly? Right, and most you know, uh, American conventional doctors would be immediately offended by that because they fancy themselves extremely scientific. Well, the, the essence of science is observation and, and changing of one variable at a time and then observation and seeing what actually happens. And most conventional doctors, what we're, what we're actually trained to do is just reactionary prescribing of drugs based on symptoms. And there's no real attempt, one problem is there's no real attempt to find the cause of illness and cause of symptoms people have, which I think is really a scientific approach. You know, let's find out what's going on and why you have it, not just treat your, mm-hmm. your, your complaints with symptoms. But also when they, when they do treat a patient, they don't listen. They don't observe. They don't modify what's going on. They don't follow scientific method. Like somebody who comes in with complaints of thyroid deficiency problems. You know, hair, a woman who's 45 years old and her hair is falling out and she's exhausted all the time and her legs feel heavy and she can't seem to lose weight and her brain doesn't work anymore. And they go, oh, my God, you sound hypothyroid. And then they do the thyroid laboratory test, just the TSH, which is a horrible thing to only base your decision on. And it's normal. And they say, oh, well, I guess you're not hypothyroid after all. They, like, they, they dispense with all of their clinical science knowledge and base everything on this one variable and if they do get an abnormal and they treat the patient when they come back they don't listen to what they say they don't they don't mm. listen to the patient say hey you gave me synthetic thyroid it doesn't work right i still have all the same symptoms they pay attention again narrow-minded to the one laboratory test and say well that's normal so you're fine you know it, mm-hmm. and i think day to day in clinical practice we need to be scientists we need mm-hmm. to follow scientific method and listen to what's going on, actually observe what happens instead of having your beliefs in the way. We've been fed mm-hmm. all these beliefs through clinical medical training, and frankly, most of them are wrong, or many of them are wrong. And you mm-hmm. have to dispense with your beliefs in order to see what's actually going on. And so that, that's mm-hmm. sort of what I mean by non-scientific. Plus, most of the conventional doctors don't read any more literature. Mm-hmm. Most of what the standard of care of medicine wants you to do with chronic disease management conflicts with what the actual science published in the literature says. But since right. the drug representative comes to your office carrying samples and tells you the latest and greatest thing that they want you to think, uh, that's the easy way out, and they usually just go with that. And granted, but they there, bring you, you like such you delicious food, right? They bring you such right. delicious food and right. delicious desserts, so you have to listen. <laughs> that's right. If you put it in the belly, they're good. Or some yeah. pens. Viagra written on the side. Right. Those pens are awesome. It's funny, when I go to conferences, and I know I'm rambling, but when I go to conferences, I'll go through all the different, you know, booths and, and do like a pen competition, like who has the best pens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you go to enough conferences, you should never have to buy pens. Ever. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I love that there's, um, you know, a focus in your practice really with just listening, like really listening to patients and hearing them because obviously, you know, the topic tonight is hormones. That's especially important for hormones. You know, it's an art of getting the proper dosing, the proper, you know, um, delivery of each different type of hormone people are on, and and it's it's an art. Have you found that to be true for your practice? Absolutely. I teach most of the lectures in ACAM's uh, hormone therapy workshop, and I teach the introductory lecture, and that's what I stress over and over. I really don't Mm -hmm. agree with giving people protocols. 
Right. You could start with some kind of typical thing that you do, but in, in hormone replacement therapy, it is the art of medicine, but the science of medicine all wrapped in one. You have to constantly think on your feet, listen to what they're saying, adjust therapy based on the individual case. And, and it is by far the more complicated and artful thing that I do in practice. It's not cookbook at all by any means. Mm-hmm. So before we uh, take some callers, I see uh, 559 on the line. Just hold tight, hold tight for a second. Um, Dr. Vincent, what are kind of the heavy hitters with male hormones? I think typically men think of testosterone, but what are some of the other hormones that are involved and what do they you know, do for the most part? Well, definitely testosterone is the big gun. I always joke that women are a hormonal circus, and there are so many things to worry about with them, but men are usually pretty straightforward. The way I put it kind of, you know, off the cuff in my office is they just need ball juice. They just, they just need testosterone the, mo- the majority of the time. But most men, uh, or not most men, sorry, a lot of men that have the same general complaints like fatigue, low low muscle strength, decreased motivation, mild depression symptoms, lack of sex drive, all that stuff, they could be low on DHEA also. DHEA is the other major predominant male hormone, and it doesn't come from the testicle. It actually comes from the adrenal gland. But uh, so many people in America today have adrenal burnout um, that if, if they're even if they don't have low cortisol causing chronic fatigue and problems like that, a lot of them will have low DHEA, and they'll look like they have low testosterone. So I, mm-hmm. I generally check both of those at the beginning, and those are the two biggies. But, you know, men can mm-hmm. have thyroid deficiency also. Uh, men can have uh, problems with their adrenals. Uh, there are only really just the, those handful of hormones that are a big deal for men. You don't have to worry about mm-hmm. progesterone and estrogen and things like that like you do in women. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Men are pretty easy. Okay, good. Men are much easier. Um, all right, cool. So I'm going to take it to uh, the uh, 559 area code here. So 559, thanks for calling in. You're on Dr. Low Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, yes, hi, Dr. Lowe, Dr. Vincent. My name is Francisco, and I'm calling from Fresno, California. Hey, Francisco. What's your question? Hi. Uh, Dr. Lowe, I have a question for you first. Uh, I was listening to the show with Drew Canoli, and he said you were going to sing, and I was just wondering if you did that so I can go back and listen to the podcast. Um, Francisco, you must have missed the vagina show because I sang at the very beginning. <laughs> oh, okay. Right, I will go back and listen. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, Dr. Vincent, I have a question. I, I, I was a vegetarian a couple years back, um, and I, I eat, like, really heavily soy-based diet, and I understand that's, you know, basically, like, I'm just swallowing estrogen. So now I'm trying to balance out my testosterone, and um, I was recommended uh, a supplement kind of like the low-level testosterone, but I, I wonder if there's anything I can do because as a result, you know, I grew, uh, I guess, man press and I'm trying to, you know, get back to shape. So is there anything that you would recommend, any protocol, any test that I could do to test my testosterone on a regular basis to, you know, to see where I'm at? Well, if have, have you had your testosterone level checked in any way so far? Uh, it was a while ago. It was a couple of years ago. I, I haven't done so yet. Okay, a couple of years ago. Did you have it tested by blood or saliva or some other method? I was saliva. Saliva, okay. What I have pr- I have seen a lot of problems with saliva testing with hormones, frankly. I know a lot of people really love it. I, I find that it's really inconsistent and the normals aren't really clear. But if it was low range on there and, and if you have relevant symptoms, like, like you said, trouble getting back into shape, like if you're exercising and it doesn't seem like it's working for you, like your muscles aren't responding... That's probably the first foremost thing I see with men with low testosterone. 
Um, right. If, if, if you're worried that it's low and you don't want to use or go see a physician or practitioner and actually try to get testosterone replacement, the, some of the herbs that actually, herbs and supplements rather, that do seem to help some, and it's, it's a small benefit, i got to say, that most of the guys that I see that are really, really low, none of the over-the-counter you know remedies are going to cut it. But the things you can try are DHEA, because I mentioned DHEA before, boosting the same symptoms or removing the same symptoms for men. It also is a precursor to making testosterone, and you will get a, a certain bump in your testosterone if you use it. You can try DHEA between 25 and 50 milligrams a day orally. The problem with DHEA is that it can become estrogen, though, just as badly as it can become testosterone. So based on a person's metabolism, you give a man DHEA, and they might actually start getting nipple soreness and breast enlargement instead of the testosterone benefit. So that should really be monitored later to see if it's becoming testosterone or not. Um, something else you can try is tribulus terrestris, which is an herb that, that stimulates the pituitary gland to tell the, tes- the testicle to make more testosterone. I've seen some improvement with that. And again, that's tribulus, which is T-R-I-B-U-L-U-S, terrestris, T-E-R-R-I-S-T-R-I-S, for those of you who are listening to write it down. Uh, th- that combination can help some. Some people get a significant improvement using the hormonal precursor pregnenolone, uh, pregnenolone is sort of the first hormone made from cholesterol, and then all other steroid hormones are made from pregnenolone. And you can get pregnenolone over the counter. Uh, it's P-R-E-G-N-E-N-O-L-O-N-E, I believe, pregnenolone. And I would take like between 25 to 50 milligrams a day to start, up to 100 milligrams a day. Um, those are the things that might actually help you make testosterone itself. And then for general male enhancement or stamina or whatever vitality, people will use things like ginseng and ashwagandha and uh, shizandra and some other herbs. But those are things you can try over the counter. Otherwise, you might find a, a anti-aging or bioidentical hormone type practitioner who knows how to measure testosterone and give you actual testosterone replacement by whatever method they use. Okay, then I will probably do that. Does that answer your question, Francisco? It does. Thank you very much, Dr. Lowe. Dr. Lowe, you guys have a good evening. Yep, you too. Thanks for calling in. All right, cool. So next caller is from the area code 760. You are on Dr. Lowe Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, Dr. Lowe. This is Russell calling from Carlsbad, California. Hey, Russell. Long time no see. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. What's your question? Oh, by the way, I'm enjoying your show uh, tonight. It's very informative. Uh, My question is, when it comes to gracefully aging, what course of uh, hormone therapy would you recommend uh, to a middle-aged man? Well, there is gracefully aging, and then there's my wife's protocol, which is to fight it tooth and nail. Uh, (laughs) Well, well, that was actually my question should have been, lead me to the fountain of youth. Right, exactly. And, you know, some people, like I mentioned before, think DHEA is the fountain of youth. But like I, I, I mentioned in the, my answer to Francisco, it can cause lots of problems. I, I, like I said before, really am not a fan of protocol. There's not anything I would automatically tell anyone to start taking, in my opinion. It's, it's kind of tailored to what the person really needs. And if you're eating a healthy diet, you know, all organic or wild foods, try to stay away from grains and sugar, those things are going to make a much bigger difference for graceful aging and, and maintaining health as you get older, uh, moderate exercise, you know, the lifestyle stuff. 
But if a man is starting to see signs and symptoms of decline that are typical of men that are losing their hormones, the things that we tend to need really simply are testosterone and maybe DHEA. I, I've been on testosterone replacement for about five years, but my level was really quite low. It's, it's surprising how often I see even young men that have very low levels today. And I, I don't think that we age normally any longer. And it has to be a function of what's going on with the environment, what kind of pollutions we've, we've put into ourselves. Um, but really, the, the big thing to look at is testosterone, in my opinion. You can have these things measured. You can go into a lot of outpatient labs and get labs done yourself, and I really am a fan of blood testing. But if, you're, if your testosterone level, total testosterone level, is less than 500, it's certainly worthy of replacement. Insurance companies often won't pay for it unless it's below 300, but you can pay out of pocket. It's only 30 bucks a month for testosterone replacement uh, in most methods. And then if, you're, if your DHEA level is low, you can supplement with that over the counter. It's cheap. But um, one thing you could you can just try to take is DHEA if you don't want to do any laboratory testing. And like I said before, it can become testosterone and kind of help you with that hormone uh, support. But it can also become estrogen, so you just have to watch for the symptoms. Uh, but mostly, you could question aging gracefully. It's it's really mostly about lifestyle, and the naturopaths like Dr. Lauren are really just the best at that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you have any specific um, question about any particular hormone. Um, I was wondering if if you're if you're on the uh, if 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 you're on the higher end of the uh, testosterone scale, is that's a good thing then? I believe it is. And and one thing I would like to say about that is we don't know what normal testosterone is. You know, whenever you get a laboratory test back, it says reference range, which doesn't mean normal, and it certainly doesn't mean normal for you as an individual. What we know about testosterone, when I give lectures about it is that the, the data that's available from the last couple of decades shows that men's testosterone levels have been falling by 1% per year, and we don't know when that started. But it's got to be at least 50 years ago because the, the real big uh, scary things are environmental chemicals and the post-World War II era is probably when we started to get really exposed. So if you figure a 50-year uh, period of 1% decline, then testosterone levels are half of what they used to be. The most recent data we have in young, healthy men is from a cohort in the what's called the Framingham study, Generation 3, and they started enrolling these patients in 2002, and their average testosterone level was 730. So if the average testosterone level then was 730, then 50 years earlier, the average testosterone level could have been close to 1,500. So my goal when I give men replacement is to is for their, their level to peak out between 1,200 and 1,500. And it really depends on what method you use when your level's going to peak. But I like for it to not get below 600 any longer, like even the day before their next shot is due or when their next cream application's due. It's nice to keep it in the higher range. And most of your testosterone ranges on blood are going to range from be between 300 and 800 and something. Or if you're a young man, they might go up as high as 1,200. But, yeah, the answer to your question, I, I really think we need to be in the high end of what the current posted reference ranges say because I think they're wrong. So on the estrogen uh, side of it, then, would we want to be on the low end of that scale? We know uh, estrogen is interesting. I, I, again, in blood testing, I measure total estrogens. I know a lot of practitioners break out either estrone or estradiol, and as long those ranges that are posted on the current laboratory reports, they seem pretty good in terms of estrogen. The, the total estrogen level on my lab goes up to 115, and I usually just try to make sure guys are below 100 
But if they're around 110, 115 and they don't have any symptoms like leg swelling or nipple soreness or weird emotional changes or uh, things like that, then they're probably fine. Um, and we can talk about methods of lowering estrogen if you want. But, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have to suppress your estrogen down low to get better results. In fact, when I've had men do that or we've done that incidentally through our treatment, men will get weird emotional changes and even um, lose sex drive, different things. There, there is a role for estrogen in the man. We don't fully understand what it is. But you don't want to completely rob a man of their estrogen because bad things happen. Hmm. Okay. Awesome. Very good. Thanks, Russell. I'll, Do you have any follow-up questions? Or? No, I, we've covered it. Thanks a lot. Great show. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. I'll keep listening. All right. Okay, cool. So the phone lines are now open, guys. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, it's 818-495-6919. I know the caller from the 501, if you want to call back in, um, you can do that. So, Dr. Vincent, let's see here. Now, normally men think of testosterone, right, as erectile function pretty much predominantly. What else do these hormones do for the body? What do they provide? Oh, that's a, that's a good a good point. Um, I often talk to men about uh, testosterone, and I every time I get a man in the office, even if they think they're fully healthy and they want to just do a screening physical, I try to get them to check their their testosterone level. And I often get confronted with, well, I don't have any sexual problems, and I don't get any erectile problems at all. And I go, well, I, I usually say, well, that's the last thing to go. You know, mm -hmm. that's often the only thing that'll get a man in the doctor's office. But in terms of testosterone. It, it does have a role in sexual function and whatnot, in erectile function, but it's involved in protein synthesis for every tissue of the body. So, like, if your testosterone's low, your bones will get weak, your muscles will get weaker, your skin will age faster. Everything just doesn't work as well. Nothing repairs and recovers like it should. And you'll see men who, my experience before I found out I was low, was I still liked to lift weights, and I wouldn't lift really heavy, but I would have an annoying little nagging elbow or shoulder pain that would last two or three months before it would go away, and then a new pain would show up. And you, you just don't see the rebuilding and recovery like you should. So any guy who's an avid athlete, they'll often come in early and say, you know what, something's wrong with me because I'm still doing my training, but I'm gradually getting weaker and I'm getting pains and things that I shouldn't have. And So that's one of the early signs of low testosterone. On the psychological side of things, it's dramatic. I mean, the, the, the most prevalent symptoms I see in men with low testosterone, especially young men, and I'm talking men that are like 20 years old, 19 to 20 years old, is what, what you could call depression. But most men won't use the term depression. So for the practitioners out there, don't ask a man if he's depressed because he'll say no because that has a negative connotation to him. Ask them if they feel unmotivated, if they feel like they don't want to talk to people, they feel socially withdrawn, they feel like they just want to be left alone, <laughs> they feel like yeah. irritable about everything. You know, and, and for the women listening, this is probably describes a lot of your husbands. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I often get referrals for husbands from their wives because we start talking about it. But the, the big yeah. things you see are psychological just a lack of motivation or ambition. And then you, with that, with a man, with our culture, comes some self-loathing. It's like we're supposed mm. to do everything, and if we don't feel like it, we just beat ourselves up about it psychologically. Uh, mm. and, and we just we give up on the things we used to devote energy and time to. I'm here in Alaska, so I'll usually ask men, you know, do you still think it's worth it to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go hunting or to go fishing or go camping, the stuff, you know, you used to love to do? And they'll go, you know what, in the last five years I just haven't bothered because it seems like too much work. It's stuff that they used to get 
super jazzed about, and now it seems like a chore. Those are the really early symptoms. And they feel irritable and depressed and flat and pissy all the time. And then when we put them back on their testosterone and get their level back up, the first things that they see are psychological. Life feels worth living again. Things They're happy again. They don't get upset about stupid little things anymore. They let things roll off their back. And this is, and they get motivated to do things again, not just have sex, but the sex drive does go up too. But they get motivated to do the things that used to make them feel manly, you know. And our culture has this view that if you give a man testosterone, he's going to get angry and violent and want to assault you or crash his truck into you. And that is the complete opposite of what you usually see. But, you know, our culture bases its expectations of testosterone on bodybuilders and athletes that are using, frankly, ten times what the physiologic dose is. And that's not what you see when you do proper male hormone replacement. You you turn, like, tired, grumpy, irritable guys into happy, outgoing, sociable guys again. And mm-hmm. the wives just love it. Now, that's the, what that's about the testosterone with the heart, with, with uh, the heart connection? I know that some guys think, oh, I'm going to take testosterone and get a heart attack. What's, what's the whole misconception? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know where that belief came from in the past. Um, it's, my guess is it's from athletes that abused horse steroids. Because, frankly, most athletes' black market steroids that they use are from horses. They're equine. Mm. And they use mega doses, And that kind of thing certainly might not be good for your heart and for other parts right. of your body. But what we know now with epidemiological data anyway is that having low testosterone is a major risk factor for, for obesity, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, and strokes. We, mm. we don't know yet whether treating a man to optimal normal physiological levels might reverse some of that, but the epidemiological data suggests that it would. The treatment studies that have been done with hormone replacement done correctly, you know, not the back, back room, you know, locker room stuff, but proper hormone replacement has never shown any cardiac consequences to my knowledge, nor has mm. it shown any liver problems. That's the other thing you hear people throw out is, oh, it's really going to wreck your liver. Well, only if you use the synthetic oral testosterone, not if you use bioidentical testosterone through a non-oral route of administration. So to, to my knowledge, and I've looked into this a lot, there is no risk to the heart using bioidentical physiologic range testosterone. And I have every reason to believe that it would actually decrease your risk of cardiovascular disease. It's hmm, fascinating. All right, so the phone lines are open, 818-495-691. And if you'd like to ask a question, I'm going to take a caller now from the 619. You are on Dr. Low Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? My name's Aaron, and um, a quick question for you guys. I have, I'm have uh, i 34 years old. I'm a healthy male as far as I know. And should I be taking anything for my prostate, or is that something, you know, when I'm in my 40s and 50s, I should start taking something then, or... You know, I just, I'm all about preventative maintenance as possible, and I just, this is an area I don't know much about. Well, I know what I, I, know what I would take. Um, if you're concerned about it, I would ask first, does, it run, does this problem run in the family? I mean, anybody with cancer in the family or enlarged prostate that was a real problem for them? I know my father had an enlarged prostate, and I don't know, you know, what has escalated from there. Just It's not something that we've talked about, but I know... Um, and I think it happened, if I'm if I'm correct, at a pretty young age, Rand, that he, my father's also a doctor, and I know that at a pretty young age he, he mentioned that he had an enlarged prostate. Okay. Uh, then a personal question. Do you Are you losing your hair? Do you have, like, male pattern baldness? No. 
No. Okay. Does your dad? My dad actually has a lot of hair. He's 68 years old, barely has a bald, a bald spot. Okay. Because there, there are two reasons in general, two different hormones that cause the prostate gland to enlarge in general. One is, yeah. is dihydrotestosterone. That's a metabolite of your testosterone. <clears throat> and those are usually the bald guys because dihydrotestosterone also makes your hair fall out. The other okay. one is estrogen. So estrogen can make your prostate gland enlarge, if, particularly if you're genetically predisposed to that. So if your dad hasn't got, gotten bald as he's aged, he's probably an estrogen guy. And it doesn't have to be real estrogen, like uh, your body's converting your hormones into estrogen. It could be synthetic estrogens and chemical estrogens. So honestly, okay. uh, uh, to get ahead, not to get ahead and talk about supplements, but lifestyle stuff, you want to avoid plastic. You want to avoid bisphenol A. You want to avoid anything that might have PCBs in it, like farm-raised salmon is loaded with PCBs. You want to oh, avoid okay. anything that might have cadmium in it, like a lot of uh, certain seafoods are full of cadmium. Cigarette smoke is full of cadmium. Paints, okay. batteries. Cadmium acts like estrogen in the body. And you want to avoid, um, uh, like I said, anything that's in plastic. You know, That's a big one. Gotcha. A lot of those act like estrogen. So you may be genetically predisposed to being sensitive to the estrogenic effects of foods. Some, a caller uh-huh. earlier mentioned soy. I don't really think soy is a big concern. Most of the things in soy actually negate the effects of estrogen on the body. They don't act like estrogen, so that's not a big issue. But environmental avoidance of those things would be the first and foremost issue to consider. As far as supplements go, um, iodine has been shown to reduce your risk of prostate cancer, and iodine also works by helping to modulate estrogen conversion in the body. I mean, it helps prevent breast cancer in women, things like that. So you can go to the health food store and you can find a uh, like a Lugol's iodine equivalent. Okay. There are pills like the pill uh, brand Iodorol. Uh, you don't have to use that brand, but something like it. It's, uh, it's okay. got potassium iodide and then iodine combined in it. And you want to take like 12,000 milligrams a day, like one pill a day. Okay. That would be a useful thing to do. In fact, that's one of the things I suggest everyone take for general health because it's got so many widespread benefits. Another thing would be vitamin D. Vitamin D has been shown to reduce your risk of prostate cancer. It's not going to help prevent benign prostatic hypertrophy, which is part of what you're worried about. Um, and that, I, I advocate high doses. If you're in California, I'm not sure where you're at, but if you're in yeah, a warm, sunny yeah. place, you are. You might make yeah. vitamin D outside for half the year. Here in Alaska, nobody makes vitamin D ever, so it's easy for me to tell how much to take. It's the same dose all year round. But generally, doses between 5,000 and 10,000 a day are totally safe, even in California. It's like 10,000 okay. a dose, I would usually suggest. And then for the prostate, in, in terms of herbal and other nutritional supplements, saw palmetto tends to help prevent growth of the prostate because it suppresses dihydrotestosterone. Like I said, that's not necessarily your family's problem, but it'll, it'll, it'll help slow growth. So you can take saw palmetto, the herb, at like, 160 to 320 milligrams a day. Um, and then often you can find combination herbal products that have items like nettles, stinging nettles in there is another herbal component, or something called pygium, P-Y-G-E-U-M, pygium africanum is what it is. Those okay. herbs help with general prostate health also. And then the other thing to consider um, is uh, like a, there's a fatty acid extract from soy called beta-cetosterol that you can find, and you might find that at a health food store, an herbal product that has all of these things in there at once. In fact, you can find them on the Internet. I know there are different products. Okay. 
So you can take one of those. They're, they're really harmless, and they may benefit you. Now, would they have iodine and vitamin D in there as well? Or is that something Usually that's separate? Usually not. Okay. Yeah, I haven't taken those in conjunction with. Right. I would take an iodine capsule and then the vitamin D. And those are great things for general health, too. They help prevent cardiovascular disease and different cancers and different things. Sounds good. And make sure you Ain't have no? sex. You have to have sex a lot, too. You should try to ejaculate uh, once a day on average. <laughs> that shouldn't be a problem. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Oh, You're welcome. Funny. So all the guys are taking notes, right? Okay, once per day. <laughs> Whether you need it or I not. Yeah, I think that's homework that they can probably stick to. So, all right, so let's kind of shift gears a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about cholesterol. You know, I know that a lot of conventional doctors, they're always trying to get cholesterol as low as possible. What kind of harm does that play in hormone balancing? You know, that's a really good question. comes up a lot during uh, lectures that I give on on, on uh, hormones. And I I honestly don't think it makes much difference, and and here's why. Because if I have one slide in my Intro to Hormone Therapy lecture that I give that compares the actual concentrations of things in your blood, and it's, it's annoying math, but if you bear with me, like cholesterol is in, I think, uh, milligrams per deciliter or something in blood. If you do the math, it works out to uh, like one part per thousand, or one, it might be even be one part per 100. You know, it might be 1% or one part per thousand, pretty high concentration. Testosterone, for example, is only in the blood at like one part per billion or 100 billion. Uh, so mm-hmm. how much cholesterol do you really need in, in order to make all the testosterone you need for the day? Vitamin mm-hmm. D is in the one part per 100 billion. Estrogen is only one part per trillion in the blood. And so in order to make these steroid hormones at maximal physiologic amounts, you need hardly any cholesterol proportionally. So a lot of people have, have wondered, you know, if does taking a statin drug like Lipitor or Crestor or Zocor or something risk lowering your hormone production? And I just don't think that it does. I mean, it would be interesting if somebody would do the study and, fig- and find out, but just based on looking at the math, I don't think that's a real concern. I would love to say that it is because I hate those drugs, so, yeah. but I, the scientist in me can't say it. I mean, I don't think we have the data. In fact, in terms of vitamin D, vitamin D is made from cholesterol also. There was a Scandinavian study that showed that people taking cholesterol-lowering drugs, the statin drugs, actually had higher levels of vitamin D, like 15% higher. So it's weird. Wow. It, like It blocks the synthesis of cholesterol but maybe shifted the raw materials through a different pathway. And so that's wow. the only hormone substance that I've ever looked at, a study where they were wondering about the effects of statin drugs, and it actually boosted it. So I don't know whether there's a concern or not. I mean, you certainly that's see direct toxicity effects of right. these things, and you see, like, de- degradation of your muscle cell membranes, and you see liver right. toxicity, and you see brain effects. And so the, the effects of these drugs make people seem like they have hypogonadism or hypothyroidism or dementia or whatever, but I, I don't think it's because of a hormonally mediated effect. It's just a direct wow. That's my so interesting. It's well, it's refreshing to hear another side, another possibility. You know, I mean, you just hear like cholesterol gets lower and your hormones get totally screwed up. You know, so maybe right. that's not necessarily the case. Of course, having low cholesterol can increase risks of like rage and depression and you know sure. suicide risk and all. I mean, it's not like you know that it's okay to have really low cholesterol, but that's just interesting that maybe it really doesn't affect hormones that much. Yeah, I don't think it's a hormonal thing. I think the drugs suck bad enough all by themselves. <laughs> yeah. 
without without having to worry about hormones being involved. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about belly fat. That's something that a lot of guys deal with. So belly fat and hormones, what's the relationship with that and what can guys do about it? You know, I think we know a little bit about this now. Um, I don't think we know a whole heck of a lot about this yet, but it's a big hot topic of discussion and, and research. So the intra-abdominal fat, especially the stuff that's around the organs inside, is particularly dangerous and very inflammatory, you know, predisposes people to diabetes and cardiovascular disease. That kind of fat and putting fat um, on in general is a lot more common in a man with low testosterone and low DHEA. The androgens or anabolic steroids that men have predominantly really seem to help you build up muscle mass and not accumulate that kind of fat. And I've seen many men that I've put on hormone replacement with, with testosterone who had a lot of belly fat and they come back in a few months and their body weight is the same, but they've had to punch two new holes in their belt because they've put on muscle in their chest and shoulders and their belly has shrunk like three sizes. So you can see that just with this hormone change. Other hormones that will give you that kind of effect can be growth hormone, actually, but I'm not a huge fan of using growth hormone clinically uh, just because it's so, I don't know, med- medical legally tenuous and it has some potential side effects and people don't always respond well to it. But anyway, growth hormone plays a role there at reducing belly fat and helping you put on muscle mass instead, though the research suggests that that muscle gain is probably just water weight and not actual protein. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. the point. Cortisol definitely mm-hmm. plays a role. That's all over the TV. If you stay up late enough, you'll watch some infomercial on a product to lower belly fat and get rid of cortisol. But it can go either way. Cortisol very much exemplifies the hormesis curve or the the hormetic reaction where a low level of cortisol will give you the same problems that a high level will. So I've seen plenty of people, mostly women, who have fatigue and trouble losing weight and excess belly fat, and their cortisol levels are low because they have adrenal burnout. And when we Mm. give them cortisol replacement, their belly fat starts to shrink away. My mother was Mm. one of these people. Her... cortisol was low, I put her on cortisol, and within like two weeks she had lost 10 pounds of belly fat. So, Mm. you know, cortisol gets demonized as, oh, you want to lower it, lower it, lower it, but that's not entirely true. I mean, hormones are much more complicated than that, unfortunately. Uh, Right. DHEA plays a role, and then the female hormones play a role, too. Men, if they have a high estrogen state, will tend to put on belly fat. And I test mm. any man that I see at baseline who comes in with low testosterone type symptoms, if they have a lot of belly fat or a lot of fat on them in general, if they have no hair on their legs and they've got water retention in their legs and they have varicose veins or things like that, or if they have what looks like breast development, I check all their estrogens at baseline too. And a lot mm. of the guys mm. with more fat retention and whatnot have higher estrogens. And it's a mm. self-perpetuating mm. problem. I mean, the more belly fat, the more fat you have, the more estrogen you make because you synthesize it from your male hormones in your body fat. And then the more estrogen you have, the more body fat you put on. (laughs) So it's Mm -hmm. a snowball effect or a fatball effect. Uh, And and so you have to identify that problem too. And then Mm -hmm. there's corn syrup. (laughs) Right. Corn syrup's not a hormone, but it's it's, it's a big common cause of belly fat. Right. Weight loss is a really common concern people come into the office with, and it's it's really not a simple thing. You know, I don't have a protocol for it. I look at all kinds of different hormones and parameters when I'm trying to deal with that, and a lot of them play a role. 
Right. And and as my listeners know, I am a huge believer in food as medicine. So to kind of tie into that, the diet piece, what what's what's a great type of diet that helps to balance hormones? Oh boy, I'm a big fan of the Paleolithic diet. Like to give hey, hey, woo, woo. I'm all about the yeah. diet. So I love that you said that. When you said no no grains earlier, I was like yes, because I actually didn't ask yeah. you. We didn't talk about diets. So it just it just works out that you're into that. It's awesome. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm a huge paleo diet fan. I just saw one of my patients this afternoon about an hour ago who's five. She's five foot three and weighs 270 pounds and wants mm. to have bariatric surgery. And I saw her a month ago and had her try the paleo diet. And she's she's kind of been terrible at following the diet but she's done major you know far better than she used to do and even with her poor performance with the paleo diet she's lost six pounds in four weeks mm-hmm. you know, which is not impressive to her because she still has 150 pounds to lose but i was like look you know i tell people look don't get discouraged if you lose a pound and a half a week you're going to disappear completely in two years right. <laughs> so just, just be patient <laughs> so just vanish and, yeah but, People want rapid effects. But, no, I'm a huge paleo fan. We are not meant to eat grain. Uh, you and I were both at the ACAM meeting in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and Dr. Alessio Fasano presented the research that showed that gluten inflames everybody's gut. Humans are not meant to eat it. And that inflammatory response puts on belly fat, puts on body fat all over the place, derails your whole metabolic system. Mm-hmm. So that's a big yeah. And milk. You know, we're not really meant to consume milk from other mammals besides humans. And that stuff is just growth formula. I mean, baby cows grow phenomenally fast on that stuff. So, you know, I, those are the big things. No dairy, no grains. It just seems obvious to me, and that's basically the paleo diet. Mm-hmm. Amen, brother. Love it. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, I love to have, you know, just some real um, simple things that the listeners can apply from, from these Shows. You know, I have a lot of doctors who listen, I have a lot of students who listen, but I also have a lot of people listen who have no medical training whatsoever. So give our listeners just some tips, some top tips that they can do, they can kind of start with right away to help balance their hormones, you know, on a daily basis. Well, I think one of the big things is exercise. I've seen a lot of men, again, on that topic with, with low testosterone, that if we get them off their butt and get them to exercise, their testosterone level comes up. And that's what you read, too. It will help. And doing that will actually lower your estrogen. It'll, it'll balance out your cortisol. It'll balance your neurotransmitters. It increases growth hormone. It, it helps with everything. And, and the kind of exercise you need to do is something that's difficult, I'm sick of seeing people walk for exercise. Walking is exercise. Walking is transportation. Walking is what you do when your car broke down. If you're going to exercise, do something that is hard, that makes your muscles really have to work, it makes them burn, and you can't do it very many times. So like weightlifting or you know, uh, plyometrics, just jumping up and down while you're watching TV. I do that a lot. If anybody was watching, they'd think I was a total lunatic. But I'll watch TV and I'll just jump up and down with a 40-pound lead vest on. <laughs> That's my exercise. But, you know, I, I managed to stay in really good shape doing 15 minutes of exercise four or five days a week. This doesn't take a lot of time. You know, so the big thing is just to do it. Get some stretchy bands, get a couple of dumbbells, make your muscles work. Well, the way I tell people is t- treat your body or use your body like you intend to live. You know, tell your body mm-hmm. what you want from it. You want power and you want strength and you want dynamic ability out of your body. And slow-moving endurance exercise does not do that for you, and it does not mm-hmm. help with your hormones. So, you mm-hmm. know, interval training, resistance training, strenuous stuff, 
short-term exercise, 15 minutes, 20 minutes at the most. That's how you help exercise or use exercise to help balance your hormones. Other than that, it's food. You know, you really need to eat the right kinds of food. No sugar, no grains. You don't make any useful body tissue out of sugar or starch or carbohydrate. You only, all you can make out of that material is fat. So you want to eat meat that has cholesterol in it, you know, that's healthy. You want to eat grass-fed meat, seafood, wild foods. Uh, you want to eat eggs that are free-range or, or they're wild-raised, not vegetarian. I get pissed every time I see vegetarian-fed eggs. <laughs> Chickens are not vegetarians, okay? Neither are humans. So, you know, eating the right healthy wild foods will help balance your hormones because hormones are made out of food just like everything else is made out of food. So it really comes down to lifestyle stuff, diet and exercise. And then the other big thing that I harped on earlier is environmental avoidance. I've been, I've been involved with the American Academy of Environmental Medicine for about five or six years. And, you know, you should be deathly afraid of almost everything the food industry wants you to eat. It's, it's, it's either toxic in and of its own or it's in a wrapper that has plastic leaching into it, even if it's in a can. And foods are full of plastic and bisphenol A also. So, you know, yeah. buy frozen things, buy organic things, put the money into that. It's worth the investment. Now, those would be Absolutely. my agging tidbits, really lifestyle stuff. Man, I couldn't have said it better. It's so much more than ball juice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, hopefully we won't need <laughs> ball juice. I don't know why I do. It's frustrating. I didn't have any exposures. <laughs> yeah, I, I found out I was deficient at age 35, I think. I'll be, I'll be 40 this next summer, so I think I've been using it about four or five years. Wow, but you know what? It's like if you need it, you replace it. It's not like you know. I mean, it's it's a it's necessary for your health. So. Uh, oh yeah, know? I tried the natural methods. I tried exercising like a fiend. I tried DHEA and Tribulus. I tried all that stuff that I mentioned earlier, and it did not bring my testosterone level up. In fact, it made my testosterone level go down further to exercise, and mm -hmm. that's one key point for clinicians is, and people out there, if if. You know, exercise is supposed to boost your testosterone, but if your testicles don't work any better and they can't mm. produce more on demand, then exercising mm. more will actually consume it and your level will go down. And mm. so what I find with guys who want to exercise a lot is I actually give them extra testosterone. Like I, if I'm going to be working out more, I use more testosterone because you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a wise healer uses what works, right? That's right. That's safe. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly. all about safe and cheap and effective and natural. So you mentioned that you wrote a book. Tell us a little bit about that and where uh, listeners can learn more about you. Oh, yeah, thanks for that opportunity. I, I published it in early September. It's called Thinking Outside the Pillbox. Um, mm. It's 820 pages long. I, I, <laughs> I, I have sections in there on just about everything you can imagine that's involved in, in human health and wellness. <laughs> all the stuff we talked about today and, like, break down what each hormone does. And I talk about nutrients from macronutrient and micronutrient perspective. I have a long section on what, uh, what actually causes chronic illness in America because doctors are, in general, are terrible at figuring that out. So hopefully mm. people can not really need to go to the doctor if they read this, figure out how to solve their own problems, or at least be able to tell and direct the doctor towards what is the right kind of answer and right kind of testing and care. And it's had, I've had really good reviews from it so far. It's, it's available uh, on Amazon. It's available on Barnes & Noble, Google. It's available at some local bookstores here and there now. It's available as a download in Kindle format for 4 bucks. That's by far the cheapest mm. way to go. And it doesn't kill any trees because this thing weighs 3 pounds if you buy the hardcover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite a compendium 
of, of information. And it, again, it's called Thinking Outside the Pillbox. So I'm pretty proud of it. It took me three and a half years to write it, getting up on uh, Saturday and Sunday mornings at 5 o'clock in the morning because I have six oh kids. Oh, my. Yeah, I was like, so where in between taking care of six kids? <laughs> wow. Wow. That was a chore. That's awesome. Congrats. It's really wonderful, and I look forward to reading it. And we'll have to have you back on the show to talk about your book. Yeah, love to. Cool. All right, good. So um, with the website I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is that probably the best place for listeners to kind of learn more about you and contact you? Yeah, that's the clinic website. I have I have a website devoted to the book and the publicity for the book that's coming up this week, but I honestly I don't think it's set set up yet. But it'll be linked mm-hmm. to our office website. Yeah, my my office's name is called Matsu Integrative Medicine because we live in the Matanuska who sit in the valley. So Matsu Got it. is a term around here. It confuses the heck out of anybody who's not from here. <laughs> so, so it's Matsu, right? M A T S U I M dot com. Okay. Right. It's Matsu Integrative Medicine. I am. Yeah. Cool. All right. Any parting words before we we take off tonight? Just that. A man of any age, and I mean any age, uh, should go get their testosterone checked if they have any of the symptoms we talked about. Don't think, oh, I'm too young for that to be a problem, because this is afflicting Mm. even teenagers today. Mm. Okay. Very well spoken. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was a total joy. I'm so glad I invited you on, and have a great evening, and I'm sure I'll see you soon at one of these conferences coming up. Yeah, great. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. For sure. Have a great night. All right. Night, everybody. Thanks. Bye. All right, you guys, that was the show. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for the callers, Francisco, Russell, and Aaron. It was great to have you guys on. And, of course, you guys can check out the archive show on iTunes. Next week, I'm going to talk to Dr. Paul Jaminet about the perfect health diet. So mark your calendars for that. Have a wonderful night. You can check me out at drlaurennowal.com. And I'll see you guys later. Have a great night. Bye-bye. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.